0: Welcome to Soccer Morning on backheel.com. Here's your host, Jason Davis.
1: Here we go, Friday episode of Soccer Morning brought to you by WorldSoccerTalk.com. Welcome in to a big big program on a Friday. Perhaps you're still hung over from watching llamas run through Arizona or determining what color that damn dress was. What color was that damn dress? In the end, was it was it black or black and blue or was it gold? I saw it both ways. It was freaky. That was the internet yesterday. Was there soccer? There was soccer. <laughs> we'll certainly talk about that. We've got an excellent lineup of guests today on Soccer Morning. Daryl Lovell from down in Houston, Texas, will join us to talk about the preparations for the twenty fifteen season for the Houston Dynamo. Remember, Dom Kinnear is out. Moved on to San Jose. Owen Coyle, English, or, I'm sorry, Scottish manager, last in England made his name in England, jumps over to the United States. This is not usually a recipe for success at MLS. The foreign manager uh, doesn't understand the rules, needs to to get up to speed very quickly, maybe needs to learn about the American player, the the CONCACAF player. We'll talk to Daryl about all of that. should be a fascinating season in, in Houston this time around. Thomas Floyd from Goal will join us to talk about D.C. United. It did not go well for D.C. United in Costa Rica last night. 5-2 5-2 losers to Holense. Almost got it that time. 5-2 in the CONCACAF Champions League first leg of the quarterfinals. Going to be tough to turn that around at RFK. So it doesn't look good for MLS teams in this year's competition. Remember, Montreal, a surprising draw, 2-2 against Pachuca in Mexico, but I still think everybody has Pachuca as the favorites to finish out that series. And at 11 o'clock, a bonus guest for you. We're going to do some extra time here on Soccer Morning. Dave Zirin, Edge of Sports on Twitter, writer um, on many topics in many places. will join us. We'll talk to him about an item he has at the nation about the MLS, the potential MLS Players Union strike. Will this be an effective strike? How does this relate to the context of American sports as we understand it? He quotes Taylor Twelman in this piece, saying that this could be MLS's Kurt Flood moment. If you know your baseball history, you know Kurt Flood. You know he was the man. He's the Bosman of, um, of baseball. Broke, uh, broke through and sued the league and successfully got his free agency back in the 70s. And We have free agency in the NFL. We have free agency in, in NBA basketball. We have free agency in the NHL. MLS is behind the times on this. The league is not budging. How does that impact how we think about this process? So a very good discussion coming up with Dave Zirin today. Let's do the headlines. Let's talk about a little bit of, a little bit what happened. To, let's talk a little bit about what happened yesterday that wasn't llamas and dresses. You have the, uh, and I meant to mention this yesterday, getting around to it now, the Greek league has been suspended. The Greek top division in Greece has been suspended for a third time because of violence and matches. Not only is Greece going through, all of those austerity measures they've been dealing with, and now talking to the European Union about getting an extension on their repayment of loans, economic strife in in Greece, and we've seen over the last couple of years how this has impacted football and soccer. Now you have violence matches between rivals, Olympiakos and Panathinaikos, and a brawl between club officials Tuesday at a board meeting of league organizers. When it gets to that level, when it gets to the management level, when guys in suits are brawling, that's not good. That's bad. That's, that's a reason to maybe suspend the league. Trouble in Greece. Europa League yesterday, you had a, a couple of things happen that uh, were of interest. Number one, probably most important to point out, Feyenoord and Roma there in Rotterdam. Feyenoord fans throwing an inflatable banana on the field. After a referee decision that went against the home team, there was other items thrown on the field and the game was suspended. Those two things are unconnected as far as I'm aware. Uh, Or the referee may have taken into account the the banana incident as he decided to take the players off the field for a while. Uh, But the incident with the banana is the troubling thing. Now, there is some question as to whether or not this was racially motivated. But it's not as though the Netherlands is without these issues. We saw when Josie Altidore was playing in the country that he was racially abused. Feyenoord fans themselves, some Feyenoord fans, a portion of the Feyenoord fan base, has a reputation for just being ugly mugs, for doing bad things, for chanting things that they shouldn't, for throwing things on the field that they shouldn't. If this is racially motivated, uh, you know, I, I want to say my, my gut instinct is to, to throw the ban hammer down. Do something major. Give them a me- Send a message. FIFA has been dancing around these issues for so long. Do something. And yet I know at the same time, it's treating the symptom and not the cause. Whether or not you can get to that root cause is an open question. Whether or not football and FIFA is in a position to get to that root cause, I'm not so sure. But you can't let it go, certainly. Also in the Europa League yesterday, Liverpool crashing out to Besiktas. On penalties, got a. Do you feel? Do you feel bad for Dejon Lovren today, stepping up with a chance to extend penalties into sudden death, and he just uh, gack hits it over the crossbar by a good ten yards. It seemed like it was nowhere close in the end. Do, do you feel a little bad for Dejan Lovren, or do you put some of this on Brendan Rodgers? They went into that match with every opportunity to advance. People talking about Liverpool as Europa League favorites. A chance to get in the Champions League if they won that competition should they not finish in the top four in, in England. And they just, uh, give Besiktas credit, played very well. Scored the goals they needed to score, pushed it to extra time. And in the end, they they got through. The Europa League round of 16 draw is out as well. You uh, Everton destroyed Young Boys yesterday. They now move on to face Dynamo Kiev. You have Zenit St. Petersburg against Torino, Villarreal, and Sevilla. Club Bruges of Belgium against Besiktas. Dinner pro I'm not going to say it, Trevor. Dinner pro. I'm just going to go with Dinner Pro. Against Ajax. Wolfsburg, who is now the be- the bookies' favorite to win the competition, against Inter Milan. That's pretty tasty right there. Napoli, Dynamo Moscow, and Fiorentina and Roma going up against each other in the, in the last 16 of the Europa League. And remember, I, I mean, I just said it, but remember, winner of this competition gets themselves into the Champions League next year, regardless of their league finish. Jack Wilshere's Arsenal return has been delayed. He had a minor procedure on his ankle and will be uh, delayed for a couple more weeks. This is not good news for Arsenal, obviously, coming off of their own uh, troubling first leg against Monaco at the Emirates, going into going back into the Premier League this coming weekend. Uh, they need everything they can get. They need everybody that they can uh, muster. And Jack Wilshire has been in and out of the lineup so often over the last couple of years. It's a running joke for me that he's always hurt, but I certainly want to see him play as a talented young player. As I mentioned, the D- uh, DC United fell to Aloua Alenze Aloe- 5-2 in Costa Rica in the CONCACAF Champions League last night. It just, uh, just not on, uh, just not in rhythm, DC United. Certainly, you have to put some of this on Andrew Dykstra, spilling some, some shots he probably shouldn't have. By all reports, unlike him to do that. But everybody's in preseason form for MLS. This will continue to be an issue in this competition. When the MLS teams make it this far, they are not ready to play against teams that have been, uh, Alouette had something like 11 games in the last 40 days. D.C. United hasn't played in 110 days. You go into that environment in Costa Rica and it's not a recipe for success. Certainly not with the way that MLS prepares their teams financially. And maybe that'll come up later in the show when we talk to Dave Zirin. There you go. Let's set this up. Daryl Lovell from Houston. MLS beat writer for the Houston Dynamo. will talk to us about the preparations for the 2015 season there. Owen Coyle's uh, adaptation to MLS. Don't go anywhere. It's Soccer Morning brought to you by World Soccer Talk.
2: Face the crowd You're fucking too loud <laughs>
0: Welcome back to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com with Jason Davis.
1: Here we go. Soccer Morning brought to you by World Soccer Talk. And uh, I've uh, been corrected on my Kurt flood history. And I'm a baseball guy, so this is probably inexcusable. But Jeff is telling me that Kirk didn't win his free agency. That came later on. He certainly sued for his free agency. He sued for the right to, to choose his team. But that's neither here nor there because Darryl Lovell is on the line from Houston to talk about the Dynamo and their upcoming 2015 season. Daryl, how are you, sir?
3: I uh, can't complain, Jason. Thanks for having me
1: on. It's, um, I imagine it's nice and warm in Houston. It's cold where I, where I am, but uh, when it's... It is not nice and warm here, sir. Well, okay, give it me... give me 32 ch- degrees here. Oh, that is pretty chilly for Houston. Does that, does that mean like your houses crumble and people are running around the streets not knowing what to do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: now, for, coming from somebody who went to school in Colorado and Missouri... They actually delayed school the other day because it could frost. Oh no! Was the possibility <laughs> of ice. I just laughed. All right. Well,
1: meanwhile, but. the Houston Dynamo are preparing uh, preparing for a new season. Um, first, you'll have to tell me. I'm not tracking everybody's whereabouts, Darable have To tell me where the the Dynamo have have prepared, what kind of trips they've been on, and and whether or not um, you know whether or not this is a very different sort of Dynamo camp, considering it's the first one without Dom Kinnear.
3: Uh, well, first, you know, they've been to Arizona, and they're actually currently in Charleston right now. As far as whether it's been a different camp, it's, it's really the, – the drills are different. Uh, I think the mood – I think there's a little more of, of a focus on getting the guys to do uh, some more fun things. You know, somebody I was talking to last week, they were doing one-on-one drills, and we, we were standing on the side and watching it, and he goes, yeah, that's just sneaky fitness. Right. You know, so I think, I think that's the difference. To be honest, though, it's a lot of the same faces on the player side, uh, you know, even a, a few of the same coaches, a few of the same guys behind the scene. I mean, COIL is obviously different. There's obviously, it's much more difficult to understand the coaches at training. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. I was, uh, was going to go right there.
1: I was going to go, do these guys sometimes pause because they're not quite sure what Owen's asking for?
3: Well, I heard, I'll tell you a funny story I heard. It was one of the first days of training, and apparently Stan, Sandy Stewart, who's Owen Coyle's time, right-hand man, who's Scottish himself, and it's a much tougher Scottish accent than Coyle's is, he apparently asked Boniac Garcia if he was Honduran. And Boniak <laughs> looked at him and smiled and said, no. <laughs> and then he came, he came over and asked while I was standing there, he goes, I thought you said Boniak was Honduran. And he goes, and we kind of said, yes, he is. And uh, he goes. Well, he told me he's nine, and we just, we told him. Well, he probably doesn't understand what you're
1: saying. <laughs> yeah, there might be a bit of a language barrier on both sides uh, for that. I'm not sure how good uh, Boniac's English is. It's probably decent, but it, 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 wait, come on, Scottish people—they flummoxed us all. Um, speaking of flummoxed, uh, this league has a reputation for punishing foreign managers. Daryl, uh, guys come in, and you know, every now and then we have one with some reasonable success. I uh, think I'm thinking about Osorio. I'm thinking about Baca in New York. Uh, you know, obviously we've had some some crash and burn moments. Is there a sense that Owen Coyle's of a different cut of cloth that he is going to be able to handle this a little bit better? Certainly, he knows some American players from his time in England.
3: Well, and I think I think two things give him an advantage. I'll say that I don't know if he's cut from a different cloth because we're not going to know that until June or July, to be honest. Um, but I think there's two things that work in his advantage. A, as you mentioned, he has a lot of experience with American players. Spent a lot, He spent a lot of time scouting America. For him, I think that's an advantage. Not only does he get used to the players, but he sees the game. He understands the game and MLS, which I think that will give him a little bit of a leg up on some of the other coaches that come in. And also, he's, brought his, he's regularly brought his teams here when he was coaching in England for the, for the summer for their preseason. He would spend two or three weeks, in the U S and he really, you know, talking to people, I wrote a story on a feature on him this week and talking to people around him, he really did fall in love with American soccer, the American soccer, the, I'm going to call it the American soccer way, the fan, the, the want to get, to grow the game. Then he really likes MLS mm-hmm. to be honest with you. He really likes the way the game has progressed here. I think he favors the more physic, the more physical style, the, the idea, not just physical being, you know, the fouling, but the actual physicality, the athleticism in MLS. I think he really likes that. So I think just kind of being familiar gives him a leg up, but we can say all we want. And I've said this a couple of times to a couple of different people who really want to get on the oil, oil coil bandwagon. We're not going to know if all of this works until July or August. I imagine it's going to be an interesting look.
1: Yeah. I, I imagine he had to, he had to convince the brass down there that he was going to be different, that he was going to be a guy who fully embraced all of the quirks that are MLS. That, that it, it, we don't expect Owen Coyle to come out in, in June or July and start complaining about his roster and not being able to add to it the way he wants to or having to trade away rights or, or player or a draft pick in order to bolster
3: things. Are we? No, and you know, to be fair, you know, you're you're right. You're right on that point. When they were going through, first off, they didn't realize they didn't really think Owen Coyle would be interested in the job, considering the offers and considering the rumors behind the scenes that he was getting in the in the meetings he was having. But when he expressed interest in the job, their first hesitancy was, will this guy come in and understand MLS and play the rules game? And like you said, is he going to complain in August that he can't go out and just buy a striker? that he can't go out and just buy a defender. Right. And he's been pretty adamant that he understands those rules, he understands the idea of the salary cap. And him and and, and to be fair, that's why you hire Matt Jordan. Right. That. You hire Matt Jordan, a guy with MLS experience who has a pretty good shouting network and you you make sure those guys can work together. And during the hiring process, they hired Matt before they hired Owen. A big part of that process, for Owen at least was making sure that him and Matt Jordan meshed very well. Mm. So you hope that's not going to be the case. Again, losing four games in a row changes a lot of things.
1: Let's talk about the roster a bit. Um, this To me, it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of change here. This is essentially last year's team with the, the potential, I mean, obviously the arrival of Kubo Torres pending. What else has changed? What else is different? Do you expect Owen Coyle to to transition them into a, a different look than maybe Dominic Kinnear played?
3: No, I really don't. I mean, hold on. I don't think they're going to look very different. You're probably going to see one different starter uh, on opening day this year, or I should say two, because Tyler Derrick will be in goal where Tally Hall was last year, but Tyler ended the season last year as a starter, uh, and, and Raul Rodriguez. The rest of the lineup will be guys that everybody knows. It's not going to be much different. They're going to come in. Maybe Giles Barnes slots in underneath Will Bruin a little more, but it's going to be the same four-man midfield, two forward, or uh, maybe a forward and an off forward it's really very similar though uh to what they're what they did last year as far as the tactics and the formation is concerned i think the difference is, is what they're being asked to do they're being asked to play with the ball more they're being asked to look for more opportunities to to run at people instead of playing the, the two and three touch soccer they're being asked to 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 create something in the midfield, and spark an attack more than look for opportunities. You know, the more than just get it wide and get up the field and get it in the box. And that was always Dominic Kinnear's mantra, when all else fails, play outside in. I think is going to ask them to, to vary that up a little more. And I think and you hope that that's going to spark the attack. But truthfully, when you watch them, the personnel is the same. They look the same because the personnel is the same. And you can tell a player all you want, hey, do this. Yeah. When when the game starts, that player is going to do what they know how to do best. Brad Davis is going to push to the line and send a cross in. Right. Bolian Garcia is going to cut in. So i I got a feeling it's not going to look a lot different, but there are some different ideas being, being asked of them, some different things being asked of them.
1: Well, you obviously have a core of players who have been together for a while and know each other and, and, and are going to play in a certain way. So perhaps Coyle's um, Coyle's mandate here is to to get the best out of them, and they're going to need that. Daryl moving over to the Western Conference, whether or not the East is is much fa- is is far behind the West in terms of uh, direct competition. If you look at last year's records, it's not that. I don't think it's it's a major difference, but we certainly see the the West as a deeper conference. And remember, this is a team that didn't make the playoffs in the in the East last year um with all of that said what are the expectations i mean again you've got seattle and la and rail salt lake and 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 all of these teams portland who should be back on on a decent run how is houston going to climb into that top echelon
3: you could be the eighth best team in the MLS and still miss the playoffs in the list. i mean you really can even even if they're taking six this year um it's it's just a, a huge step up the expectation is the playoffs I'm not altogether sure that's a realistic expectation. I, I would put them in a group of maybe three to four teams that will look to squeeze out one of those final two playoffs. Uh, I think if you look, there's the top four teams in, in, in the West right now. Uh, you're, you're probably looking at Seattle, L.A., uh, Kansas City, and probably Real Salt Lake. And everybody else is, is fighting for those last two spots. They're going to have to figure out a way to score goals, A. And I would said it coming into the season, you can score all the goals you want, but if you give up 58 goals in an MLS season, you're not going anywhere. Right, right. And they gave up 58 goals last year, so they, they need to figure out how to keep teams off the board. Jermaine Taylor looks better this year in preseason than he did has the last couple of years. And if Rodriguez is as good as they think he is, I think that's how they get there. Uh, they have to. For everything we want to talk about with going forward and creating and all this stuff, they have got to get back to stopping people. Mm. If they stop teams in the West, I think that's their best best path to the playoffs. Because in an arms race, until Kubo Torres gets here, I just don't see them outscoring teams.
1: Yeah, you know, not the, in the West. I don't think Daryl with uh, with Owen Coyle coming in and with the legacy of Dom Kinnear, we would expect Houston to suddenly become. The type of team that knocks it around the park that looks for those intricate movements at the top of the box—they're—they're they're going yeah. to muck it up a little. They're going to have to muck it up a little bit. Look for Brad Davis to hit those crosses, and—and and as you said last year, it wasn't necessarily the attack, although you know th- that maybe wasn't good enough, but it was—it was defending that was the ultimate problem. So you're convinced, or the team is convinced, and maybe Coyle thinks he can move some pieces around, or or maybe change a responsibility or two to shore that up.
3: Am In my am I convention, no. And I, I've actually asked this question a couple of times. Did, did the team, I've asked this from Matt Jordan and, and Chris Kennedy did the, and, and Owen Coyle, did the team do enough this year to show up the defense? They're all very confident. that an improve, And it, it, to be fair, to be honest with them, Jermaine Taylor does look much better this preseason than he has the last couple of preseasons. And, and, and to be, I think that's maybe a big difference with Owen. I think a lot of players have a little more of a fresh look to them now that, that the regime has changed a little bit. I, think, and I don't think it's a negative on Dom. I just think the same message after a while just kind of loses its, its effect on some guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, so guys like Jermaine Taylor, a guy like maybe Alex Lopez in the attack, they look a little fresher, uh, but they seem very confident that adding Raul Rodriguez and a better Jermaine Taylor uh, with, with Tyler Derrick, if he can play at the level they know he can, that they can stop people, and you can't. You got to remember, they're going to have a full season of Luis Garrido and Rico Clark, or we're hoping to have a full season of Luis Garrido and Rico Clark uh, in front of them. Is And it, that that's going to take a lot of pressure off of that back line that was that was absolutely there in the first part of last season.
1: Well, I mean, you say that, but I think uh, isn't there? Doesn't there have to be some concern that that you know we might see Rico go down again? That you could see some of these. You okay. know?
3: That's why I said the, the hope is they're going to have these guys for a full season. You're going to miss Garrido uh, for the Gold Cup at least, mm. so you've got to figure out I, the, the back line is still the issue. The back line is still the big question mark going into the season. Have they addressed it? Yeah. To be to be fair, looking at the preseason game, and they're just preseason games. But Raúl Rodriguez does look like a very good defender, so I think they brought they made a good signing there. The question is, was the backline issues last year just talent-oriented, or was there maybe a cohesion problem? You know, you'll know, you have DeMarcus Beasley for a whole season, or presumably for a whole season this year. If they can get on the same page and they can run the same defense out there week, out, week in and week out in a relative fashion, you got to think that the, the improvement will come. Will it be enough of an improvement in the West? Yeah, I don't know. That's just, where
1: I'm skeptical. It, it just there's there's age at some crucial spots here, Daryl, and and yep. I don't you know you you rely on Brad Davis, okay, fine. I expect him to be very good as well. Uh, you know, as always, Rico Clark, okay, maybe an injury concern. He, he's he's a he's sturdy uh, midfielder, defensive midfielder. Uh, Beasley, as you said, I mean, he's getting up there. You know, it could be very easily be the type of season where he's dealing with some stuff. I, I hope not, uh, but you you have to manage his minutes. Let let me get to the to the elephant in the room for the Dynamo, and as you already mentioned it. Um, they're gonna have to get to Kubo now. Now maybe Kubo doesn't change things dramatically, and maybe he's not the savior. You certainly don't want to set him up to have to be the savior of the team. But a lot of eyes are going to be on the Dynamo between now and Kubo's arrival, whenever that is. And maybe you have a word on that. Um, because he can be such an offensive force, and then you have to wonder, okay, who sits down? I mean, what happens with Bruin? What happens with Boniac Garcia? What happens with Giles Barnes? I mean, you expect them all to be in the lineup, but you have to shuffle those pieces.
3: Uh, I don't expect Bruin to be in the lineup when when Kubo Torres gets here. Okay, fair Actually, enough. I think that's the guy who, who is, if you're looking for the guy that comes in. Now, can Will Bruin score 12 goals between now and when Kubo Torres arrives and forced his hand? Absolutely. But Will Bruin until Kubo Torres gets here, is playing, for, essentially, in my opinion, he's playing for a spot. Oh. He's playing for minutes uh, once the, the change is made. Now, when Torres gets here, we don't know. Because if he doesn't get here before May 13th, then they have to wait for the window to reopen in July. Oh. When he could also be gone on Gold Cup duty. Right. Yeah. So there is a scenario out there where this guy may not get to Houston until August. Oh. Uh, so, I mean, this, this it's very, it's, it, there's not a whole lot of certainty. Now, there are, according to, to Chris Kennedy, there are some ways that the deal, the loan deal could be ended earlier. Not, he's, he's not going to tell us that. He's not going to tell us what the intricate details of the contract are. But there are, there are ways to end that deal earlier, but until Kubo, I mean, Banking on Kubo Tour this season, in my opinion, is is not the best option. It's not the best strategy. Mm. They're gonna have to figure out how to get the most out of these guys. And like you said, there is a lot of age there. Brad Davis, while he's in great shape, not getting any younger, even Bonier Garcia, that guy's logged a lot of minutes. Mm. Uh, the last couple of years an international play in MLS. It, you got Beasley. I think there are some very real concerns here and, and the depth is what failed them last year. Mm. Will the depth hold up this year? Because it's gonna everything's depth has to hold up. So it'll have to it'll have to hold up when it's called upon. I,
1: I wanna talk I, I wanna since since you had an eye on, on the dynamo, um, certainly when they've been in town you may have had the opportunity to talk about this. I, I wanna get to, to maybe any thoughts you've heard about the C B A. Uh, but, but very quickly, before I do that, do you get the sense that Coyle's got a, a pretty long leash here? That if they they finish, uh, you know, top th- bottom three in the conference, that, that he's going to be around next year.
3: Bottom three in the conference, I think. I think he'll be around next year, regardless. Okay. I'll say that. Fair enough. Uh, th- bottom three would probably force them to have some real conversation. Would have would force them to have some real conversations. Uh, but I don't think I don't think Coyle comes here. A. And I don't think they make the investment in the team. B. Uh, if this was going to be, you better produce now, or you're out as of January first, two thousand sixteen.
1: Okay. What have you? I think
3: he's got some time.
1: What have you heard around uh, around the Dynamo? Um, m- maybe from players or, or whatever. I mean, certainly don't want you to out anybody here uh, with the sensitive nature of it. But what have you heard about the the CBA negotiations and sort of the feeling around the Dynamo as this deadline pr- uh, approaches? You,
3: you kind of get the feeling that everybody is. I think this time more than last time. I think people are ready for the worst uh, that, that I can remember. I, at least around here, the idea is leaning more towards just from what just from the people I talk to, uh, the idea is leaning more towards a strike is is a much higher possibility uh, this go around. It just doesn't sound from the people I talked to. It just doesn't sound like the union is is really budging on the issue. Now, this information is about a week old. Um, because they've been in Charleston the whole time. I haven't, I haven't had a whole lot of access to them. But it really does sound to me, at least the feeling here, is that the the the, M- the, MLS, the owners, are just not budging very much. And they're mm-hmm. starting to play some of the negotiating tactics with the players' union. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they're really, they really are playing hardball on the free agency idea. Uh, in my opinion, I'm talking to the people here, Strike is a much bigger option. Or a much more realistic option than I had thought previously before talking to
1: this. Uh, Daryl, you may have to pass the time during the strike writing stories about the guys who are surviving on ramen. And uh, <laughs> I mean, not that that's. <laughs> yeah, sp- well, I'll be one of them if they don't play, we don't get paid. That's oh well. <laughs> so, let's let's ho- okay MLS and and the players get this done. Daryl Lovell needs his job. Daryl Lovell MLS Beat writer. Follow him on Twitter. It's Daryl with two R's and two L's, and Lovell with one V and two L's. If I got that right.
3: You have that right there. There You
1: go. Appreciate the time, Daryl. Thanks a lot.
2: Anytime, brother. Right.
1: Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to grab Thomas Floyd from Goal. We'll talk a little DC United, their failures in the Champions League, perhaps their preparations for 2015 soccer morning. World soccer talk. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back.
0: back to soccer morning on
1: backheel.com with jason davis back on soccer morning brought to you by world soccer talk this music just feels like thomas floyd
0: oh for sure yeah
1: thomas floyd 10 on twitter uh, writer at goal and uh, one of the three fantastic co-hosts of open wide for some soccer which you can find at backheel.com thomas how are you on a friday
0: I'm pretty good. Still, uh, still trying to process what happened last night. Don't know if I'll really? completely understand it. <laughs> really?
1: You're trying to process an MLS team going to Central America and getting throttled in the preseason? That's what you're trying to process?
0: It's not that I'm necessarily shocked by what happened. It's kind of trying to figure out all the different factors that led to that.
1: Okay, well, give me give me your list, your top three factors that led to DC United following following a five two to Alawalense last night in Costa Rica.
0: All right, I'll I'll start with uh, kind of the the cliche of the staging of the competition. Everyone knows that having the knockout round in MLS preseason is fairly crippling. To the, to the MLS teams. That said, Montreal went down to Mexico and got a result, so it's not impossible. Uh, I don't think the turf helped United. They didn't really seem to be able to, to have any control of the ball on that playing surface. I know Ben Olsen before the game was pretty concerned about uh, having that narrow field and that bouncy turf and, and how United would handle that. And then also you just have that Andrew Dykstra performance, which really... Can't be sugarcoated. If if Bill Hamid is in there and turns in a, a typical Bill Hamid performance, this is a game that's probably maybe a two-two draw. Uh, maybe goes uh maybe a one-goal loss. It, it can go very differently. But that was just a, a very very rough performance from Dykstra, who, granted, was playing his first game back from a pretty bad Achilles injury.
1: How many of those goals do you lay at Dykstra's feet or hands?
0: uh uh, the penalty kick for sure he has a a player who's going away from goal and you know there's really no danger in that situation he makes a poor decision and and puts the referee in a a tough spot where I, I think that was the right call obviously the one where he bobbles the uh the service into the box and it falls right to an attacker's feet is on him uh the other ones maybe he could have done better but those are the two that I think really when you look at them Dykstra will want to have them back
1: as for the performance of the rest of the team, I mean, clearly the again, as you said, team in preseason, maybe they got an early start to their preparations because they knew this was coming. There's only so much you can do. Those training matches, going to Texas, playing for their armadillo, don't they really can't replicate what you're gonna see in these games. How did you how did you assess the rest of, of the team and, and maybe, you know, even pick apart Olsen's uh, uh, choices for starting lineup?
0: I, I do think they missed Marcus Halstey, which is and then kind of an odd thing to say, because he's the newcomer. He's the player who you figure if he has an injury, well, let's just trot out the 11 guys who were so successful last year. But Halsti is this veteran player. He, he played in the UEFA Champions League just this past fall, started six games in the group stage. And I think he's the type of guy whose composure really would have helped in that midfield or in the back line. He can play center back or holding midfield. He was out with a minor injury, so... You really can't argue too much with the lineup they put out there because Olsen, he went with the players who were so successful last year with the boswell Burnbaum center back pairing and that Kitchen-Arnaud central midfield duo. But that's the part of the field where they just got overrun. Uh, Kitchen-Arnaud saw almost none of the ball. It was a very uncharacteristic performance from those players. And then Boswell and Burnbaum just weren't on the same page. And perhaps that's because Birnbaum was in national team camp for a big chunk of preseason and then uh, missed a couple weeks with that minor knee injury. He suffered with the U.S., but... You still would think after they started, what, 17, 18, 19 games together last season that those two would have more chemistry than they did last night.
1: Well, let's not forget that Steve Birnbaum is, is a second-year player at this point, and he doesn't have any second-year experience yet because the season hasn't started. So, you know, to elevate – yeah, he had a strong finish to 2014, but sort of elevate him to a, posi- to a spot where he's going to be consistently – A very good central defender especially in an environment like that that he's never seen before I think is is probably a bit too far right
0: yeah I agree I I do think the the stock of Steve Birnbaum of Steve Birnbaum has gone up very quickly maybe maybe
1: outpaced how good he actually is and that's not a slight on him but sometimes we do this thing
0: yeah absolutely like you said that's no criticism of Birnbaum at all but he goes from being a a rookie who didn't play a single minute in the first half of last season before Jeff Park's injury to being a solid starter alongside Boswell, who people will remember was a defender of the year finalist. And then he's in national team camp starting and uh, getting this praise from Klinsman. And I'm sure it's all very warranted, but maybe uh, his status is kind of being this uh, unflappable uh, player who has, has done so well. And so, and limited, uh, opportunities so far, maybe people are getting ahead of themselves. And and last night we saw some of the growing pains that maybe United fans, uh, you know, should prepare themselves for in this second season.
1: This is going to sound harsh on DC United, Thomas, and I just can't avoid it. I'm sorry, but this—you know—we came into this week with these Champions League uh, matches coming up for Montreal and DC, and it just didn't seem like this was going to be MLS's year, or even less so than it usually does. Uh, when you got the Galaxy in this round, or um, some of the Seattle, perhaps you, you might give them a shot. These two teams, despite it, DC United finishing first in the East last year, just don't seem built. To compete at this level in this environment in the preseason with all of the things that are happening, again, you know whether or not Eddie Johnson is a crucial point of D- part of DC United at this point, and he didn't finish the year as a as a major player except when injuries came up. It's still you know it's still a, a piece and a highly paid piece that they didn't have available.
0: Yeah, Eddie Johnson also ha- was very successful in CCL last fall. He those were the games where he was getting goals and getting on the board and contributing and using his athleticism to, you know, win those matchups against, you know, perhaps some of the smaller defenders you'll see when you play these Central American teams. So, he, you know, I to be honest on DC United's depth chart, he's probably their number four forward at this point. They have Fabi and the Chris Pontius, and if he's healthy, Luis Silva. But he would be very useful in a game like this, and it it is another tough blow for United that they didn't have him or Luis Silva available as at least options off the bench in that Uh, game.
1: Before I go to Spindola and Silva and and maybe the the performance of De Leon last night, um, is it common knowledge what Eddie's situation is right now? I I don't want to say anything. I mean, I've heard some stuff, but I don't want to say anything if this isn't something that, that either the team or Eddie wants publicized.
0: Uh, the the team has continued to say it's an undisclosed uh, medical issue. Okay. Uh, there, if if you look into some of the things Eddie has said, uh, last fall he was ho- he said he was hospitalized with an issue, perhaps related to having an enlarged heart, and I think that's what people have concluded this is related to. Okay. Uh, but the the team has not confirmed it, so at this point it it remains. A, a little bit of uh, a little bit of guesswork as okay. to exactly what the issue is. Let's,
1: I mean, I I don't know, and and you know, medical stuff that is outside of the usual athletically caused injuries is is maybe uh, maybe a little tougher to handle. But if this was a knee injury, let's just assume that that the heart is a thing that Eddie's still dealing with. If this was a knee injury, we talking about? Okay, it's six weeks out. It's two months out. He, he's got he's got a rehab. He's got to come back. They're gonna get him at this point in the season. This is something that that really we have no idea. This could be this could be it for Eddie Johnson. I'm not wishing that on him, but certainly this could be it for Eddie Johnson. How does D.C. United, again, it's not just about whether he's the fourth or fifth forward option, which he might be. It's also that he's taking up a big chunk of their salary cap right now.
0: Right, and uh, he has not trained at all in preseason, and in fact, he has been purposely deconditioned, as uh, Ben Olsen put it, for some of the tests. So if he does come back, if everything is clear— he is completely starting from scratch from a fitness perspective. So he still would not be back for at least a few weeks, probably over a month. If, if we found out today that he's okay. So DC and I is, does have to deal without Eddie Johnson, without that big chunk of the salary cap. And that's, that's a, that's tough for them because mm-hmm. this is a team that is operating. You know, they, they don't have a huge budget of uh, Fabian Spindler is the only other DP on the roster. And, and he's a uh, you know a, a DP they just upgraded to that status uh, during this past off season. So to not have uh, such a, a big chunk of the cap that that hurts for United. Yeah, it seems
1: like maybe DC United just you know again they had some success last year. Olson did a fantastic job with that team. Burnbaum, uh, you know, emerged as a as a quality defender. Perry Kitchen got better. He had a career year or close to it from Davy Arno. Those things all came together to get them into first place last season. Uh, they didn't make their goal, clearly, but you still feel like they're in a holding pattern until that stadium gets built uh, down on Buzzard Point. And I guess looking at D.C. United and looking at this campaign, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Thomas, they're not going to get any of that that extra allocation money this year because they didn't win the U.S. Open Cup last year, as they did in 2013, and their Champions League campaign, they got that allocation money last season, Correct.
0: I do believe they get allocation money for this Falls Champions League. Right, campaign. okay, yes, they, they qualified, qualified for that,
1: qualified yes. For. So you do have a little bit of, of relief there. Have you heard from Olsen or anybody else at the team, maybe at the coaching level, because I don't imagine management would really speak out on this, but you, have you heard from them and, and his attitude about how prepared MLS teams are in general to go into this competition? He seems like the kind of guy who might be a little honest, more honest than others. About the the issues MLS faces when they have to go down to Costa Rica or go down to Mexico and play teams with much bigger budgets that are in the middle of their seasons.
0: Yeah, Ben Olsen talked about it uh, a good bit about a month ago at the beginning of season media availability, and of course at the time he spoke a lot of uh, optimism for United because of the continuity continuity they had in the roster. A lot of these MLS teams are you know like montreal ironically are are coming into the champions league knockout stage after overhauling their rosters and new players are still coming together whereas united they understand each other they have that chemistry so it's uh that, that was one point he brought up but he also he noted that mls teams have done poorly in this competition and he knows that and he knows uh, about the obstacles they face. He does say uh CONCACAF has improved a lot of the more subtle aspects of Champions League that MLS teams have complained about in the past, uh, such as when United played uh, Waterhouse in the group stage. It was played at Jamaica's National Stadium as opposed to being played at Waterhouse's home venue. So, yeah, Olsen, you know, he, he kind of went through this with a glass-half-full perspective. He was pleased with what CONCACAF has done to make this competition more palatable for MLS teams and give them a better chance. But when it comes to the the budget differences, the, uh, the ultimately there's not much CONCACAF can, can do about that. So it's uh, it remains a tough road for any MLS team.
1: So I'll do with you what I did with Daryl Lovell uh, down in Houston just a couple of minutes ago and and ask you if you've heard anything if you've heard any rumblings or or talk to any players uh, about the current situation with the CBA Uh, again not necessarily to out anybody Uh, I don't know if there's is Boswell part of leadership so uh, is there anybody who's who's actively talking about where the players stand and and the fact that MLS refuses to budge on free agency
0: yes Bobby Boswell spoke to uh, media a couple weeks ago when United had their brief stop in D.C. between their Florida and Texas training stance. And he the the thing that really stuck out that um, I'm sure uh, you, you probably saw in uh, Pablo Maurer's MLS soccer piece was that he said that he was preparing his teammates in Houston for a strike two years ago. That this is something that's been a long time coming from the players' perspective. They knew this would be a battle and that they seem really set to fight for free agency and that this isn't something that they're probably going to cave on at the last minute to avoid a strike, that the players are prepared for a work stoppage if it comes to that and that they think their free agency demands are perfectly reasonable. They're not asking for uh, all-out free agency. They're asking for some sort of limited free agency where, that would be dependent on... You know, MLS service, how many games you've played, how many years you've been in the league, it would it would only be open to certain players. So from the players union perspective, they think this is reasonable. They're prepared to strike for uh, for it. Um, and, and that's kind of the message Boswell was putting out the media when he spoke a couple weeks ago. Do
1: you believe this has any impact on, on how well they prepare, not just for the champions league, but how well they're preparing for the season? I mean, if that's in the back of your mind, if there's no progress. If everything you're hearing out of the negotiations is that MLS is just staring back across the table at the players, refusing to even address the issue. Don't you think that that creeps into some of these guys heads about whether or not they'll be ready on March 7th? I'm
0: sure it does. Uh, what I'll say is th- these players are, they're, they are focused and I think they've done a good job from everything I've heard of really focusing on this preseason and kind of just taking it one training session at a time, one game at a time to use the cliches and, and kind of controlling what they can, can control on the field and letting the off the field stuff kind of, uh, you know, resolve itself over time, hopefully. So Uh, I, it could have been a factor perhaps in last night in terms of their preparation, but ultimately I'd probably put that pretty far down, uh, the list of things that contributed to, uh, that performance. All
1: right. uh, Thomas is a guy who covers this league uh, week in and week out all year round 365 days a year. Just your gut. Are we going to, are we going to see a stoppage?
0: Um, my gut is that something would get done very last minute, but
1: uh, does does that require the players to cave though?
0: Uh, probably, okay. uh, to an extent. Um, I, what I'm still waiting for is some sort of, uh, thorough explanation from the league as to why... Uh, they, <laughs> why they find free agency completely untenable in a league think- where there's a salary cap. Um, <laughs> but uh, I wonder if at some point that'll come up. You, and if you Don't don't,
1: right. don't hold your breath, Thomas. That's all right. I'd ask. We, we can't lose you. Don't hold your breath, man. It's not, <laughs> not right. going to happen. Thomas Floyd from goal.com and open wide for some soccer. Follow him on Twitter. It's Thomas Floyd 10. Thomas, thanks for your insight. We'll get you back very soon.
0: All right, thanks for having me. All
1: right, there you go. Let's take a break when we come back. I'm going to open up the phone lines for a little bit before we get to Dave Zirin at 11 o'clock and talk about the work stoppage that may be coming in MLS. This is Soccer Morning, brought to you by World Soccer Talk. Don't go anywhere. Be right
3: back. It'd be feeling like the life that I'm living, man, don't control. Every day I'm in a fight for my soul. Could it be that my medicine's the evidence for pizza stop to me when they roll around on patrol?
0: Welcome back to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com with Jason Davis.
1: Here we go back on Soccer Morning. Brought to you by World Soccer Talk. A little quick call-in segment for you. 3435. Three, five. <laughs> Why am I blanking on the phone number right now? 347-756-6276. 347 756 6276. Three, seven, seven, six, six, seven, six. That's your phone number. To jump on board Soccer Morning, we can talk about this CBA situation. I'll tell you what I've been distracted by in the last couple of minutes watching my Twitter feed. Rob Harris at the Associated Press has now filed a story this morning outlining the scale of racism and discrimination in Russia. Obviously, this matters because the 2018 World Cup, which is three and a half years away, people, is in Russia. The lead here from Rob Harris, Russian football is plagued by a racist and far-right extremist fan culture that threatens the safety of visitors to the 2018 World Cup, a report provided to the Associated Press reveals. Researchers from the Moscow-based Sova Center and the FAIR Network, which helps to prosecute racism for European, uh, Euro- racism cases for European football's governing body UEFA, highlighted more than 200 cases of discriminatory, uh, discriminatory behavior linked to Russian football over two seasons. 200 in two seasons. That's not a little bit. That's not a trickle. That's not a couple of isolated incidents. That's a culture unto itself. Washington's on the line. What's up?
4: Hey, what's up, Jason?
3: Listen, I'm a huge fan of the league and of the sport, but I have to admit when it comes to the business, sometimes it get a little hazy. I'm trying to understand this possible work started, stoppage and the exact definition of what is free agency and why the players want it and why the league doesn't. Can you give me like a for dummies version, a quick version of it? What What is free agency? Free agency is when you're caught. Con- Go ahead. Right. So, why do the players want it, in the, and but MLS doesn't? I, I kind of want to understand that. Okay. All
1: right. Uh, let's try to do this in, in remedial fashion. Uh, the, the the players want it because when their contract is up, they shouldn't. They don't feel like they should be tied to their previous team. If they don't have a contract, they feel as though they should have the right to go sign whatever they want. So if they're if a contract runs out, they, under the current system. The team they played for holds their rights. And in order for them to move to a different city, their rights have to be traded. So if sporting has a player, contract runs out, the player says, ah, you know, uh, I have other offers or I have other interests. New York wants me. DC wants me. New England wants me. They want the ability to be, to be able to, to choose between those those cities and those offers, whereas right. under the current system, MLS does not allow that. Now, the reason that MLS does not allow it allow that is because they don't want their teams competing against each other for players because that'll drive up salaries. If you have New York and New England going for the same player, you get a bidding war. you'll get a bidding war. MLS is built on the notion that bidding wars are the worst thing to ever happen to sports, period. That's <laughs> I mean, that's how they act, okay? So right. that's why the league continues to be intransigent on this issue is because they not only do they not want bidding wars for a, from a monetary standpoint— because it may drive up salaries to a certain extent, but they also don't want a bidding war because then it indicates that the league has 20 individual teams off, uh, operating on 20 individual interests
3: instead of single entity. instead of
1: single entity. There you go, Washington.
3: I get you. Thanks a lot. Right,
1: no problem. There you go. Let's uh, nine oh eight. You're on the air.
3: Hey, Jason. It's Steve from New Jersey. How What's are going you? on, Steve? I um, I'm guessing you follow Sepp Blatter on uh on Twitter, but um, do you do think I? he's helping? <laughs> <laughs> do you think he's helping his cause at all by tweeting out that we have to stop racism and everything and you know, present a t- concrete plan for tackling discrimination in 2018 for the World Cup? Is do you he, think he's helping he, his cause or
0: just people are just getting pissed at him because of what's happening in Qatar as well?
1: I, I th- Well, okay. You Do you lay Cutter at the feet of Seth Blatter? Uh, I think it's fair to because he's overseeing everything. He's created the culture that led to mm-hmm. that decision. Even if he wasn't going to vote for them or didn't vote for them, uh, when, this, uh, when that World Cup was handed out. I, look, I think he's, in this situation, and I'm no Seth Blatter fan, obviously, but I think in this situation, he's a little damned if he does and damned if he doesn't. If he doesn't say anything, it's why aren't you addressing this issue or this thing that's happening in Russia or the racism that's happening in Europe. If he, if he does address it, then we all take a cynical viewpoint that he's just trying to uh, you know he's trying to bolster his own image. So I, I don't know that there's any particular way for Seth Blatter to do it that doesn't smack... Uh, of of incompetence. I, I don't know.
3: So I mean, he's he's uh, addressing that there are issues within soccer for racism and everything, and but he still is not addressing the 800 pound gorilla about what's going on in Qatar about people dying. No, two he days. his. So he, he's not helping a cause, I believe. You know, I,
1: I don't I don't know if these words came out of his mouth. Thanks for the call, Steve. I don't know if these words came out of his mouth directly, or if they came out of the mouth of one of his lackeys. But the stance that FIFA took was that's not our concern. That that's not something we're we should be involved. World football should not be involved in the question of poor conditions for migrant laborers in Qatar. I, that's that's insanity, and that's passing the buck, and that's ignoring, the, as Steve said, the elephant in the room. But that's where they're sitting right now. That that's why it's so troubling. And. Look, uh, um, uh, Milan Jar, Milan J-A-R-R on Twitter. Racism and war in Russia, but everyone is more worried about the heat in Qatar 2022. Hello, think there isn't some racism in that? There, there may be some racism in the fact that, that people are focused on Qatar more than Russia. But we have been adamant around here of trying to keep some of the focus on the issues that face Russia 2018. The fact that you have an authoritarian government run by a man with expansionist ideas that is creating a a war situation in ukraine whether you believe it's a civil war or a russian war of of aggression it doesn't matter russia's involved these issues that i just highlighted in this ap report 200 issues of racism and discriminatory behavior over the last two years insane three four seven you're on the air hey jason uh you know
2: i checked out the podcast my first time watching the live show Kudos to you because the uh Production is really impressive. I appreciate so. that.
1: Thanks. To, see that? That's uh, that's scratching. Uh, that's g- giving t- uh, Trevor Hayward some love, and I appreciate. He appreciates that. I'm sure.
2: Well, love to Trevor. Then love to Trevor. Yeah. I want to go a little lighter topic here. Uh, I'm in New York, and we're seeing 14,000 season tickets sold by New York City SC. Okay. What do you make of this? Is this uh, this is my by my estimation successful? Even though there's been so much negative press, are we too close to it? Or are we? making more of
1: a bigger deal with Lampard and your supporters club? Mm. Well, look, I mean, I, 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 I've picked on NYCFC, and I've certainly gotten flack from, from new fans on that issue. I think that the team has made some missteps, Lampard being the biggest one, but some other things as well. But 14,000 t- tickets, se- uh, season tickets, you can't sneeze at that. You really can't. Now, I, I will go back, and my major criticism of the situation as it exists is that MLS handed this franchise to a team or to a group that did not have a clear path to a stadium and still doesn't. And we're talking about New York City and the land situation in that part of the world being very, very difficult and who knows how long it'll be. And playing in a baseball stadium for more than two or three years is a very bad situation. Those things I put on MLS. I don't put that on NYCFC or their fans. I'm glad to see that there's enthusiasm. 14,000 season tickets, that, that you're right. We absolutely should celebrate that. Even as we are right to criticize some of the Public relations disasters the team has had, and MLS for setting up a team in New York City that may or may not actually have a long term future there.
2: Yeah, I think anybody would have signed up for that before. If you would have said fourteen thousand you know, I'm not even sure what the Red Bulls base is, but they've got to be looking at that number and being a little bit concerned. And I, I just don't know if the fans who are coming out are so in tune with the issue that you know everybody who covers and the writers and the M- MLS. D uh, writers are really focusing on. It. Maybe they
1: just want to see soccer. I suppose that look, we all have to. We we have to. Uh, thanks for the call, man. I got to go, but we, we've got to distract ourselves during the off season. And now we've also got the the, the potential of a labor uh, uh, of a work stoppage, of labor labor strife going into the season, carrying over. Of course, we're going to get worked up about these other things. And I'm not close enough to New York to have uh, you know to be stepping out in 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 know. Talking about the team as it relates to the media relations, but I have we've we've had uh, Howard Megdal on this show. We've talked. There there are certainly people out there, Brian, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Michael Lewis, up in New York, who are suggesting the team's not doing enough on that front as well. And and these are things that you can't take for granted. Let's take a break. When we come back, I'm going to talk to Dave Zirin about a potential MLS work stoppage. And in the context of American sports, how will other people view this? How should we as soccer fans view this? Don't go anywhere. Soccer morning. Brought to you by World Soccer Talk. Be right back.
0: Welcome back to Soccer Morning on Backheel.com with Jason Davis.
1: Here we go, back on Soccer Morning, brought to you by World Soccer Talk. I'm on the phone. Well, yeah, I'm on the phone now. We have some issues. Skype phone, Skype phone. Dave Zirin, Edge of Sports on Twitter, sports editor at The Nation, which is uh, where he has a piece on the MLS labor situation. Hi, Dave.
4: Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me. And as you said, up air, the phone gives it that real radio feel. So we're just going to roll with it.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. All right, Dave, so you've written a piece um, at The Nation on the MLS labor uh, situation and the potential for a player strike. And I think the the central question for for soccer fans here, and and obviously we're very close to this and, and we understand all of the issues involved and why the players are asking for what they want, and why the owners may be holding out or, or, or less understanding, but certainly we see their viewpoint. Uh, the question is whether or not this is ultimately going to be a major problem for Major League Soccer. If it's going to have a debilitating effect on the sport, um, from your perspective and from the people you've talked to, do you see it as, as one of those things that becomes you know potentially damaging to the future growth?
4: Well, it's so interesting because uh, that's always been the way we've talked about sports labor disputes, and people always point back to the 1994 uh, lockout strike in Major League Baseball because that was both a lockout and a strike. It uh, started as a strike, ended as a lockout, and it took years for Major League Baseball and a whole hell of a lot of steroids for them to return to national prominence uh, in the late 90s. But I think we're in a kind of a new paradigm in the 21st century. And you saw this with the NHL losing an entire season. It's like there could be some very short-term pain for MLS, but if the players win, and if and by win, I mean win-free agency, Mm -hmm. which I would argue is a prerequisite for Major League Soccer becoming the sport and league that it could become, it could be possible that we see short-term pain, long-term gain and a much better chance uh, to reach Don Garber's own words his goal to have MLS be one of the best leagues in the world by 2022.
1: You know, Dave, this is one of those, that's one of those things that's swirling around in my head consistently with all of this is is the disconnect between what Don Garber says about the aspirational nature of MLS and the actions that the owners are taking. It's a very conservative business model maybe that's part of the Mm -hmm. reason that they've grown to this point. They've gotten a lot of money into the league that may not have been there otherwise, but you can't say that you want to be top echelon, top tier, even if it's a nebulous concept by 2022, if you're not willing to take this, what seems to be fairly innocuous step for most people in a salary cap league.
4: Exactly. And that's the thing too, is because the resistance to free agency uh, is all about price controls that 's what the owners are saying, but if you are able to keep some sort of cap or luxury tax that will take care of the price control question and you have to have free agency if you 're going to have a league that both grows and expands in terms of fan growth and i mean and this is one of those things where 're arguing about it it 's sort of like arguing about whether the sky is blue it 's nice. like if you want to have an opinion that the sky is green, have a go at it. Have a blast. Have fun in your little world. But that's just not the truth. The Mm -hmm. sky is objectively blue. And in every single sport, free agency has been a prerequisite to growth because it adds to competition, it adds to fan interest, and it adds, frankly, to the ability to get, the in soccer in particular, the widest possible global talent Mm -hmm. pool. In a lot of ways, I would say free agency is a far more critical question for major league soccer than it was for something like the national football league in the early nineties. Mm-hmm. And it has helped every step of the way. The league will not grow the way Don Garver wants it to grow without it. And I can say like, I, I would not never say I'm sure 99% of your listeners know more about MLS than I do. But I will say that in the last year um, I was able to go to games both in Seattle and Portland live. And it's impossible to be there and not think to yourself, "Whoa." Well, you know, this is on the verge of something that could be pretty spectacular in terms of the U.S. sports scene. And so to pull the reins now just feels very short-sighted and also seems like it's awful timing.
1: I, th- I think that there may be something to the owners, and and I don't know if I want to put this on Don Garber, who again is a commissioner who operates at the behest of the owners, but I certainly think that there's something to be said for the owners feeling like they've They've gotten here and they've had that success And Portland and Seattle exist because of the way they did things. And that gives them a a feeling that they can continue to do things this way. I I don't know if that's Mm -hmm. something that you may maybe got from anybody that you talked to. The other element is this, and and you talked about the, you know, you mentioned the, the American, other American sports and getting to free agency and how painful those process, those were very, very painful processes in a lot of cases, but they, they got there and it, it ultimately did help their sports. And I think that it's, it's interesting that we take free agency in our other four major sports and throw MLS in there if you want to, we take it for granted. And maybe that changes the way we, we view this as, as as fans. I mean, it, it seems like, oh, free agency, that's a thing everybody has. Why doesn't it mm-hmm. exist? I think people are even surprised sometimes to, know, to to hear that MLS doesn't have it.
4: No, exactly. I mean, there, there, there's a phrase for this in legal circles. It's, it's called settled law. You know, it's like you, you feel like, like like something like, uh, a police officer saying to you, you have the right to remain silent. Like it would be shocking if that law changed for the simple reason that it's become so part of the fabric of law that it becomes, it's like, what, what how could you even have an interaction with a police officer where they wouldn't say you have the right to remain silent? Right. Uh, and in this, this is a similar thing. It's like free agency is like settled law in the landscape of U S sports. And so, and one of the things that I know feels, when I talk to people to do this article feels particularly hypocritical is that there is free agency for executives. And you see, you just saw this uh, in Seattle uh, with the signing of the new general manager who was the general manager previously um, for, for real Salt Lake. And it was very simple. You know, he's like, his contract ran out with real Salt Lake Seattle signed him up mm-hmm. and the uh, Garth Lager way and the the idea that there would be free agency for executives that they would be able to have that freedom of movement that they, and that's a, what that does is it creates competition and it creates a better product like i went into reading like a bunch of articles about the sounders and how they made the decision to hire garth from real salt lake and it comes down to the fact that that the owner of the sounders who's been acting as gm feels like he has something to offer in terms of growing the sport on a macro level and so let someone else take care of player development and acquisition and so you see like the Sounders are going to be stronger because of that and it's like to me that very concept that you are stronger if you can go out and find the best talent I mean that's why it's so short-sighted to say well it's like well, cost controls it's like no you will grow the pie mm-hmm. if you're getting more players in if you're getting players into different situations if there's player movement if players feel like they can go to the best possible situation, I mean, that'll change the way fans view MLS, and it'll grow the number of fans who are paying attention to the sport.
1: There is there, there's an element to these negotiations that is, it, you know, whether or not public uh, the, the public's view of, of the situation and, and the public's um, support or lack thereof for one side or the other sways either side. It, I suppose it's debatable, especially in a league like MLS, which is 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 unique in the way it operates, in how, how old it is, how entrenched some of these owners are in terms of the money that they've spent mm-hmm. and whether or not they're willing to spend more. But you definitely point out that the, the players' union, and this is the way I feel about it as well, sitting here in front of a microphone, wanting to talk to people and get exactly what, you know, maybe not what's going on behind the scenes, but certainly get the message out. Is the players' union doing anything on that front that, that is, is good enough for you?
4: Well, this is why I, I called the article, and I had a big talk with my editors about titles. And as any author will tell you, that's what you have least control over when you write an article, is yeah. the title. And this was one we really, I really wanted this title. It's called Can Players Win a Strike Against Major League Soccer? Because I'm, I think that for all the talk of unity among the players, uh, the, the union itself is making a couple of, of really, really big mistakes. And, and the symbol of that mistake is you go to the MLSU Players Union uh, website and you would never know that there could be a league-altering, earth-shaking strike about to happen. I mean, their homepage should be filled with information about what's happening in labor negotiations, but also it should be filled with links about what fans could do if they want to support the players. Uh, if what, what Timbers Army, what, what what the Emerald City supporters, what all the fan clubs, what they could do if they want to support the players. I just think that what they're missing, a golden opportunity to do what in, in the broader labor movement is sometimes referred to as a contract campaign or a corporate campaign, where you actually, you don't just make it about what's happening across the bargaining table and who can stay out one day longer or whose strike fund is bigger. You know, it becomes these like very economic meat and potatoes questions when what it could be is much more of a social movement question. And that's the power that soccer has big picture over every other sport on the landscape in that fans feel this, and some ownership yeah. of their teams and they will
1: fight for their teams do you do you connect some of that to the decline of unions in the con- in this country in general i don't I mean sports uh, athletic Definitely. unions just in general and then you know is is there something to be said for and maybe you're less aware of this than i am the insular nature of american soccer and the fact that they think okay this is something between us we've got to re- resolve this this doesn't involve this doesn't involve anybody outside of our little circle
4: yeah, no, no, I think on the second point, um, I, I, I see insular nature all over the place and how they're even thinking about this or discussing it, because I, I know that when there have been labor disputes um, in the past in La Liga or the English Premier League, one of the things that you have seen is, is the, the mobilization of the fan clubs. Now, oftentimes that mobilization happens independently of being asked. Uh The fan clubs, I mean, they're politicized, they're out there, they want their team on the field and they're going to organize and fight, whether it's a coach getting fired or whether it's a team not being able to play because they're not being taken care of uh, financially. Like fans will fight for their players. And so some of that I think is totally cultural. Like you mentioned about the United States. We have historically low levels uh, of union participation. And so one wonders if it even occurs to the MLS Players Union to say, gee, we might be able to get some solidarity in the community, like if that's something that was even something that, that was put to the table in front of them. But it's like it should be something that they think about. Because, I mean, you go to a Sounders a game, I mean, people are singing uh, Woody Guthrie songs, for goodness sakes. Like they're taking old labor songs in Seattle and turning them into soccer anthem. you go to a Timbers game, they're making TIFOs around social issues all the time, whether it's women's rights, anti-racism, gay rights. They're making these TIFOs uh, to try to like put politics as part of what Timbers Army is doing. And of course, they both of them uh, do these amazing marches to the stadium before games. And so it's like it's not a big stretch to think, hey, can we connect with them and get them to publicly support us in a way that the media would find very attractive? In a way that would draw a lot of attention. I mean, that's the sort of thing that would be in the first 10 minutes of Sports Center, mm-hmm. you know, rally of 30,000 people in downtown Portland to get the timbers back on the field. And so I, I just, I'm, I'm concerned that they are not using one of the best arrows in their quiver in the MLS players union. And that's the fans.
1: I imagine it's a lack of of experience on this front. the players' union you know isn't very old, as you point out in in your piece the The strike fund is is relatively small compared yeah. to to anything else and there there's also you know again there's sort of, i get the sense maybe not from some of the players who were taking leadership positions and speaking out and there there have been a couple mostly in the little tiny soccer bubbles that we live in around here, but certainly it seems like some of the some of the players this is all sort of You know, maybe they feel a little cheeky about pushing this that, oh, you know, 20 years ago, we didn't have jobs. Are we really in a position to do this? I mean, there's some adamant statements that maybe don't necessarily connect with the way that it. I don't know the feeling around this. I mean, it doesn't feel like the players are really I I, I don't know how to say this, Dave. I mean, it certainly doesn't feel like a strike in baseball or football or, or hockey where. You know, you know these guys mean business, and there's really no question. Mm-hmm. I think we're all concerned that if we're on, if you're on the player side, you're concerned that they're going to fold.
4: Yeah, and uh, the, the concern about, I mean, there's been a couple of very, very strong statements about unity and resolve. Um, former player uh, Taylor Twelman he had his, he had a, a very quotable comment, saying that this is our Kurt Flood moment uh, you know, say, you know, saying really, I mean, and that was like the moment in major league baseball, the Kurt Flood moment means this is where we are willing to sacrifice to win free agency. But the, the sort of, uh, irony of him saying that is that Kurt Flood was drummed out of major league baseball, right. lost his case and never actually felt the benefits of that. So on one respect, it's like, I'm glad he's recalling that history and the heroism of Kurt Flood. I, Really hope it's not their Kurt Flood moment. I hope it's their Andy Messersmith, Dave McNally moment. I right. Hope it's their Reggie White moment. You know, I hope it's their, their winning moment. Um, but the, 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 the <clears throat> excuse me. I, I hear what you're saying about that though. And the, the concern, I mean, really is that you also have this influx of stars who are coming in in 2015 and pe- the very high profile players and how wedded are they going to be to this union struggle? Mm-hmm. And you can understand why maybe they wouldn't be. I mean, what sense of ownership do they have over this union? What sense of ownership do they have over, um, over the, over the long-term future of MLS as opposed to just being like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit past my prime. This is a place where I can totally get paid and I have a huge fan base here and, and do my thing. And so, so that to me is a big concern too. Uh some of the comments have been spectacular. I'm sure you've seen them. Players like Michael Bradley uh said very positive things. Uh but but you you want to see a sense of engagement. And once again I gotta get back to this contract campaign piece because if I'm seeing players not being engaged and I'm actually in the union, I'm thinking, what can I do to get them engaged? You know, I'm not expecting them to be Norma Ray. These are soccer players. <laughs> You no, know, they're not going to be self-starting union organizers. It's like you actually have to give them very directed tasks. Yeah. And so that, that's something, in, and that's one of the things that would be great. Like imagine if you went to the MLS Players Union website and there was news in your local city about a rally that was going to be held where Michael Bradley was going to speak. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the sort of thing you would click on and see. I mean that wouldn't only be on Sports Center. That would be on the local nightly news, and it would turn the heat up dramatically on the ownership side.
1: You know, there, there's a lot of things running through my head as to, to perhaps the, some of the reasons for this. Again, the, the, the youth of the, the union itself, the fact that this is a union yes. unlike any other American sports union, meaning that it is made up of 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 players from around the world not just the United mm-hmm. States the fact that so many of the american players which are ultimately usually the leadership at this point are 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 quite often they're very well educated guys they they graduated from college with degrees they may have something to fall back on if this doesn't work out or at the very least they may not have a blue collar mentality that usually it usually takes to get to the point where you imagine you know drumming up rallies
4: mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, no, and you're right, and and this is where, I mean, a union uh, needs to be a school for these kinds of things. Now, I, I hear you 5 trillion percent about the newness of the union, and also uh, sports unions are built on tradition, and you talk about this being a new union. My God, the stories of the early years, for example, of the Major League Baseball Union before Marvin Miller was uh, hired on, the legendary steelworker organizer that they brought in to lead it. I mean that was a, it was a disaster. It was an absolute disaster. Uh, same with the early years of the union and the other major sports. I mean there is always these growing pains as people figure out what to do. But one thing that MLS union has both the burden and the blessing at this particular moment is none of those other unions in their early years faced a strike mm. so soon, and a strike can be one hell of a teacher. You know, there's an old expression in social struggles that sometimes it take, in normal life, it takes years to learn the lesson of, uh, that you, that might take days. But when you're in struggle in days, you could learn the lessons that other times take years. So it's like, okay, they're new. They're young. What do you have to lose? Yeah. You know, you, like, see if you can give it a try to spread the message. See if you could give it a try, uh, to make the owners think for a second that the fans have actually taken a side on this question because that, that's very powerful.
1: It, it, it's fascinating. There's, there's so many elements to this, and we could do this all day, Dave, but I'm going to let you go. Thank you very much for coming back on the show. Hopefully we can talk to you after the resolution to this situation, whatever it might be. I think, I think most MLS fans would love to see the players get free agency, but I don't know if they're willing to sacrifice the start of their season at the moment.
4: No, I know, and that's what we're going to see. And just real quick message to you, this show is terrific. Like, I've been just noticing, like, when I said I was going to be on, you have a very, very loyal following Appreciate that. show. So congrats. That's very tough in this media climate. Congratulations, man.
1: Yeah, it's all, you know what, it's all on them. The grassroots uh, word-of-mouth stuff is fantastic. Dave Zirin, Edge of Sports on Twitter, sports editor over The Nation, which is where you can read the piece on whether or not the players can win a strike. Thanks for your time, Dave, and have a good weekend. You too. All right. There you go. Let's uh, wrap up this episode of Soccer Morning on a Friday. Go enjoy your soccer. I didn't get into the schedule. It's okay. Come back uh, on Monday. We'll do another great show. Go to 3nilfc.com to buy your T-shirt for Soccer Morning. Go to com slash store to get uh, a mug, a very beautiful white mug with the logo on it. It, it. The coffee tastes fantastic coming out of it. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's it. Thank you very much to our guests today Daryl Lovell, Thomas Floyd, Dave Zirin. I'll talk to you guys Monday. Bye.